Welcome to the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with the New Jersey, or I'm sorry, New Hampshire governor candidate, Karen Testerman. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and tonight is January 19th, Wednesday in the year 2022. Believe it or not, we have not time warped. There hasn't been some sort of magic cube that's warped the time dimensions in space. 5G is not a Tesla health ray like some nuts are passing around right now. It is literally a killer weapon system, just so we're clear. There's an increasing overlay to demonstrate that 5G and COVID magically coincide, that the more 5G towers, the more COVID there is. Huh, almost like a repeat of the Spanish flu of 1918 when they introduced radio. Isn't that amazing? Before we begin tonight, we're going to give a great call out tonight for my pillow. If you aren't aware, Heartland Bank or Heartland Financial which was the owner, the mothership of Minnesota Bank and Trust, has canceled the bank accounts of frankspeech.com from Mike Lindell. Now, let me be clear. I've heard the audio, and I'm seeing if I can get permission to play the audio, but it actually, they didn't cancel it. They basically said, we want you to cancel it, but we want you to leave the bank. So they've, they've closed the accounts. So we need to rally. Time to give a little thrust to Mike Lindell, again, is he? they've tried to cancel culture him and now deplatform his banking. I'll tell you, if that man would open a bank and we'd have like my bank brought to you by Patriot and CEO Mike Lindell from MyPillow, we'd have every Patriot in the nation that'd be out here trying to rally around getting into their bank. But to help that along, we have a, obviously our promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. You can head over to MyPillow.com. There's some amazing sales that they've put up there right now. New offers, which are important. They've got sleepwear on sale right now. And there's all sorts of spe- specials on sleepwear. See, sleepwear for men and women right now is 50% off, which is huge. They also have my pillow duvet covers, 50% off. They also have my pillow down comforters. I have one of those. They are so awesome. I can't even tell you 50% off. All right. Utility cushions, my pillow, beach towels, Giza custom pillowcases. Man, they're just everything's on sale. It's awesome products, and I use so many of them. My pillow waffle blanket, 50% off. My pillow quilts, 50% off. My pillow gossamer, gossamer blankets, 50% off. Four pack washcloths for 50% off. Two pack hand towels, 50% off. Patriots, this is like this is like a big rally sale. It's fantastic. Anyway. Head on over there to MyPillow.com. Use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, 
and you can click on the radio listeners box as you scroll down. Usually I tell you to go to the Bards Nation page. These sales are not on that yet because they've been updating the website. So go to the radio listeners box, click on that, go on over there, get use your Bards code, which is B-A-R-D-S, get all sorts of great savings, and let's support this fantastic company who once again, yes, we know, the cancel culture and the elites are trying to shut him down because he speaks truth and fights for liberty. And this is the real war. So again, mypillow.com promo code BARDS. Also the Founders Bible and your promo code there is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. Use that at the coupon section as you check out, save 20% on those Bibles. The Founders Bible is the Bible for our time, an NASB 1995 edition and it's got our founding fathers' documents worked throughout the scriptures. Easy to read, an incredible lesson in both God's word and the history of our nation, as we discover how our founding fathers were not only true believers, but they were they used scripture as a living language. So again, thefoundersbible.com, promo code Bards in the coupon section to save twenty percent. Finally, Expedition X P E D ExpeditionCoffee.com. That is the Bards branded coffee, a coffee for our time. It is a coffee that is just loaded with all sorts of good things for your body and your immune system, designed to give you a full boost of energy for the whole day that sustains you over the whole day and keeps your head clear and mental, mentally focused. It's the foundation of a whole series of products that are there on Expedition Coffee, X-P-E-D, ExpeditionCoffee.com, designed to create a whole health ecosystem to restore your health sovereignty. Those include the coffee, Expedition Coffee, Immune XP, which is an immune booster with high levels of vitamin C based on pine cone extract, the Gut Health Triad, which is designed to heal and seal your gut to reduce and remove leaky gut syndrome. We have Silver, the uh, Pure 47, which is the most refined silver extract. It's a nano-sized silver extract that can isolate pathogens in your body, including the full complement of SARS-CoV bioweapons they've been launching at us. And we've got Earth, which is a full-body nutrient supplement powder, one scoop a day, mixed in a drink, drink it like a shake. It's all the nutrients your body needs. It's literally a whole system to help build your health strength and your immune system strength in this time when everything seems to be waged on trying to degrade our health. We need to reclaim our health sovereignty and to keep us away from the biomedical tyranny. And that's, again, Expedition, X-P-E-D, ExpeditionCoffee.com. Now, Patriots, we're going to have an amazing interview tonight, and it's a real, it's a real testimony to the importance of being involved in our, in our state and local government. Karen Testerman is part of Bard's Nation. She's got a great voice, and she is now running for New Hampshire governor. She feels she she says God's put it on her heart to run, and she will. She is running as it is. A grassroots campaign, and she's taking on the establishment. And I think you're going to enjoy this interview to really hear that focus of what it takes now for us to affect change. As we start to watch again, the establishment trying to crush a company like My Pillow, because patriots like My Pillow, because My Pillow steps out and fights for the rights of the country, the, the liberty. We're watching the institution wrap around and rally around itself to try to choke out freedom. And using financial resources and, and all these other things to at, to their advantage to try to squeeze out truth. That's what the end of the game is. Suppress truth, build compliance. And banking systems are the worst at doing that. So 
all of these initiatives that we take at a local level to try to reclaim our local counties are centered on that sort of power of giving citizens power back again. If we can get that power back again, you could have a county commission that would tell a bank to leave, and we should be able to do that. We should be able to tell businesses if they're going to do this sort of things which are against the Constitution, against liberty, they don't belong in a county, and start fighting back to start squeezing them to give them places, making them find new places of residence. We don't need this sort of fight here. But they want to bring it, so we need to bring it back to them. So Karen Testerman. She is uh, an inspiration. She, I hope you'll find this to be an inspiration for yourself in taking the lead here and trying to run against a corrupt system in New Hampshire for governor to help reset again our liberties for the people. So without further ado, allow me to introduce to you Karen Testerman. Well, Patriots, I'll tell you, it's a real honor today to have Karen Testerman with me. Now, you don't know that name necessarily, but she's part of Bard's Nation, and she is running for governor now for the third time. But this is a very important time. She's running for governor of New Hampshire. And I just I think this is such a fantastic story and such a fantastic event because, as we know, and I've been rather forward saying, Bard's Nation is probably going to be the change agent for a lot of the nation because of an approach that we all have of getting things done and not needing to be in the fanfare of media and everything else. But I'm anxious to have this conversation today, and I think you're going to enjoy it very much. Karen, welcome to the show. How are you today? Well, thank you, Scott, for having me, and I'm excited to be here. Uh, It's a glorious sunny day. It started out with snow and then rain. (laughs) It's all kinds of crazy things up here in New England. Of course, that's a good time of year to have weather going crazy. So, Why don't you start by just giving us a little background on yourself so introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. So I was thinking about it. Actually, my heritage starts out in Oregon because my grandfather was an immigrant from Japan and he came to Oregon to start off everything. But I was... (laughs) That's neat. Isn't that funny? Um, I was actually um, grew up in California in the Central Valley and met my husband, picked my husband up there at a college, um, um, what do you call him, icebreaker. And uh, after we got married, he went into the military and we um, basically toured the world. But my family, my, my mom was um, an accountant. Um, my dad uh, was a small businessman who was not making it very successfully and so went back to school and became an accountant as well. And um, so I went to a junior college uh, and then went on to San Jose State. And um, then we traveled all over the world. We had an assignment in Australia. We have four children that were born while we were in the military. And um, three of the children went into military service. And uh, we... Dave and I actually, on our first assignment, uh, was in New England, and we fell in love with New England and decided that if we were to retire, this is where we would come. So he, after our trip to Australia, we ended up back in California and had a, a short stint down in Los Angeles. That's another funny story where he drew a circle around Los Angeles and said, never here. And that's where we ended up. But... <laughs> 
we did, we finally made it back to uh, New Hampshire and uh, I had no idea what New Hampshire was until we got here. We came because it was the most economical place to come in New England. And when we got here, we discovered that this little state has 400 state representatives, 24 state um, senators, and instead of a lieutenant governor, they have an executive council, which is a, a carryover from the British uh, form of government, and then their governor, who at one time they called a president. Uh, and so what we found out was that this little state has, um, there's a lot of influence that happens because for every approximately 3,000 500 people, there's a representative that you can call. And plus there's layers of them, obviously, because of the Senate and, and the Executive Council. Uh, little did I know that this would be a path that I would pursue in any way. It was not something I would go to. So I, um, when I first landed, we were involved in uh, the fight for goals 2000. And I was with a, a group of um, people who were learning about it. We put Goals 2000 side by side to the Communist Manifesto and said, this is not for us. We got the state to turn it down, but then they backdoored it. Um, then I had been familiar with Dr. James Dobson out in California and was a um, follower of his. And he had these organizations called Family Policy Councils that were uh, the, the average person's opportunity to find um, the what was going on in the legislature, how it was impacting their families. It was central on God, family and country. And so I uh, started looking for the one that was here in New Hampshire. It didn't exist. And so then I pursued and ended up founding Cornerstone Policy Research, which is the Family Policy Council here in New Hampshire. It became a, um, it has a, uh, a research arm to it as well as a PAC. And um, I left that in 2008. And uh, I, in, in the process along the line too, I helped to found the uh, New Hampshire Constitutional Center for, uh, Center for Constitutional Studies. I worked with the, um, uh, coalition of New Hampshire taxpayers to help expose election fraud. And um, I, I, you know, I've, I've done a number of other things in the process. Just it's kind of crazy when you go back and you try and say, hey, what did you do? I was elected by one vote to be sit on the city council in the city that I live in right now, which is Franklin. And um, just um, that's the end of, uh, this is the end of that tour uh, term at the beginning of this year. So I'm now, uh, last year, I I, um, I guess in 2010, I should go back and tell you that. I was sleepless in Seattle because I uh, my husband was working uh, a, a contract between BAE Australia and uh, Boeing. And so this was supposed to be just a short term thing and it was supposed to have an opportunity to go down to Australia, which uh, 
And I was hoping that it would be for a little bit longer than just a visit. But at any rate, uh, I literally was uh, with him out there and uh, I got this thing. You need to run for governor. And so I uh, made finally admitted to him that this is something I thought I was supposed to do. And he said, sure, go ahead, do it. So I traveled back and forth between New Hampshire and um, Seattle for a while, checking out with the uh, people in the establishment on what needed to be done. And everybody kept saying, you, um, you don't have the money, you can't do it. And I said, well, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if he wants me to do this, I'll do it. So uh, it was a four-way race and I ended up with 10% of the vote. And then uh, I thought I was done. Last year uh, in June, which is our sign-up time, I came across a posting that said, isn't there any Republican in this state who will challenge the tyrant? And uh, I thought, well, I'll check out and see if they've got anybody. And it turned out that they had a few names, but nobody in particular. Uh, someone contacted me and said, we need you more in the House than we need you in the Senate or in the uh, corner office. So would you consider running for state rep? Well, this gentleman that we didn't uh, expect to run called me up on a Friday night before signups said, uh, are you going to run for this office or am I? I said to him, well, if you run for it, I guess I'm supposed to run for governor. And he said, I'll let you know. So Monday morning, he called me and he said, I just signed up. So on Wednesday, I had asked a group of people to go with me to the Secretary of State's office to sign up. And I just wanted the photo op, right? My husband went out into the garage and found all the placards from 2010, and it looked like we were completely ready to go. And so um, that um, was a short three-month uh, run because our uh, primary is in September, and I ended up with 10,000 uh, or 10% of the vote as well. And so we only are a state of 1.3 million people and about half of those people have registered to vote. So, uh, you know, it was quite an, an accomplishment in some respects. Uh, the established uh, state party wanted to have nothing to do with me as uh, did the uh, mainstream media, which is not a surprise. So, uh, this time around, I, uh, in January of last year, someone kept, people kept asking me, are you going to run again? Are you going to run again? And I said, um, I don't know. I really don't know. If God wants me to run, he'll open the doors, right? So uh, finally, somebody said that to me. And I said, you know, it takes money to run. He reached in his pocket and handed me a $20 bill. <laughs> and by the end of that afternoon, or that morning where I was, uh, we were meeting, somebody else did the same thing. So I said, well, I guess I'm going to have to run. And he, he would encounter me at following events for over the next two or three months and say, are you going to run? Are you going to run? When are you going to make your announcement? So finally I said, okay, I'm doing this. And I've been uh, in the uh, throes of getting my name out there, getting to know people, 
uh, and uh, putting a, a credible campaign together. So when is the election? September of 2022. And then that's the primary. And then this, and the full on is in November. One of the questions that we, I think everybody is asking, and it's this corruption, and it's a ridiculous, um, I mean, it's so ridiculously controlled right now through the Dominion systems and the various subsidiaries of that. Like even in my state, we have mail-in ballots. There's no voter points here. It's 100% mail-in state, which is what they're trying to do in Congress right now. Right. What's your thoughts on that? I guess there's, it's kind of a twofold question. Is the objective that you're running for, are you running to win? Obviously, you want to win. Are you running primarily to win? Are you running as part of a foundation of just trusting in the Lord as it carries you? Or are you, uh, do you have other motives? <laughs> All three. Okay. <laughs> That's good. So, yes, I am running to run, uh, win. I do want to win. Um but I also know that God sends us on missions sometimes, and sometimes we win and sometimes we don't. And uh, the first time I, he I, he called me back in 2010, the main reason I think that I was supposed to run was to keep the um, social issues part of the discussion. Because anytime you run for office, it seems that the Republican Party, and possibly this is also in the Democrat the first thing they want you to do is talk about economy, the economy. They don't want you to address, if you want to say you're pro-life, go right ahead and say it sometime, but don't wear it on your sleeve. Don't um, publish it. Don't talk about family. And yet the family is the foundational unit. So uh, yes, I do think there is a message that's supposed to be out there, and it may be that I'm just supposed to continue to deliver that. I don't know. The corruption in this state is phenomenal, because if you go back to the Constitution, it says that inhabitants are supposed to be the voters. Who are inhabitants? They are landowners. They make a financial contribution. They must be willing to serve. And at the beginning of uh, New Hampshire, way back in the 1600s, um, you had to also be, or in the 1700s, I'm sorry, uh, you had to also be a believer in Jesus Christ. So as time progressed, obviously that uh, the latter went away, but the only other way that you could vote in the state once they allowed women and uh, changed the age, the minimum age, um, the only other way you could vote was by absentee ballot. And absentee ballot meant that you were physically not in your um, voting locale or you physically were unable to be there because of illness. Last year, the, or in 2020, the, uh, state legislature expanded that to include anybody because of the um, propaganda about that bioweapon that's out there, uh, shut everything down. And so because people were so afraid and, and masks had to be worn and da-da-da-da-da, the, um, the whole thing got down to, well, anybody 
if you didn't want to come in, if you had your babysitter didn't show up, uh, any reason in the world was written into law to allow anybody to vote, which was a, a clear violation of the Constitution. The other thing that goes on in the state of New Hampshire is that a few years ago, there was a, um, a lawsuit filed because a student who had grown up in, in New Hampshire was going to school at Dartmouth and he had let the, the election officials know that he was planning after he finished school to move out of the state, but he wanted to vote and they said, no, he couldn't vote. So we took him to court and the court decision came down that yes, he could vote if he was otherwise qualified. So in other words, he was a resident of the state of New Hampshire, um, a citizen of the state. And, uh, but that latter phrase is often ignored. It was just, oh, students can vote. So students come up from Massachusetts, from Vermont, all around the state and same day register here because of um, when they did the motor voter thing in Congress, uh, our Senator worked out a deal so that we could have same day registration. Well, same day registration, according to the courts and the Secretary of State had to be counted on that day. And there was no sequestering of those votes. So they, anybody could vote. The other thing that happened in the way of corruption is that they introduced 25, 26 years ago, the um, voting machines. Now, not every community uses the voting machines, but that has been relied upon for the last 25, 27 years. And it, if you go back in history, it's kind of interesting because we have these AccuVote machines, uh, scan, uh, scanners. And if you go to their website, Dominion is behind it all, as is Diebold, D-I-E-B-O-L-D. Well, if you do a little bit more research, you find out that John Sununu, who was the former governor of the state of New Hampshire, was the former, um, um, what was it? He's, he's you know, for uh, George Bush. He was the, um, oh shoot, I can't think of the name. But anyway, the, his right-hand man. After he left the George Bush administration, he went to work for Diebold. So I believe that he was probably instrumental in selling the machines in the first place to the state of New Hampshire. Now, we have in Wyndham, uh, just this in the 2020 election, one of, uh, they have four representatives that they elect and uh, the, they had four re Republicans, four Democrats. The um, Republicans won all four seats but the Democrat was within 1%. Well, if you're within 1%, you can ask for a recount at no cost. So she did. What came back was that there was a difference of 300 votes approximately for each of the four Republicans, and she lost another 100 votes. Well, that was, you know, screaming, there's something wrong here. So they went through a whole process and came back and said that the final 
uh, problem was not the machines, it was something else. It was um, the way things were handled somehow. Well, there's now a lawsuit involved in that. And the uh, legislature is has several different bills in front of it to try to remedy some of the laws that they've made and uh, repeal them and remedy, hopefully. And then the other thing is, is that um, the uh, there's been a big move to have the different towns that are using these optical scanners to remove them. So we had 14, I think, communities that had enough signatures to submit their petition so they can vote on it at their next election. We'll see what happens. I think that's fantastic. One, one of the things that we're challenged with, obviously, is this level of corruption, but probably deeper than that is people's unconscious acceptance and just willful compliance to it. So obviously waking people up to the truth is a big issue. And I think, and I would argue that your success in policy, if you were to win, is going to be centered on that. What's kind of your strategy moving forward in, in waking people up? So in New Hampshire, uh, it is, um, not just the media that will win it, uh, although that is the major expense in any campaign. Uh, but here we are a retail state. Um, we And this is one of the reasons that we're first in the nation as far as the presidential goes, is because if you want to try something out, if you want to see if you're going to get any um, um, traction at all, New Hampshire is a great place. We often say we're a cheap date because you can come here, spend a little bit of money, go out and meet with people, do re go good old fashioned retail politics where you uh, sit down with, uh, it may be one person in the room or it may be 50 people in the room. It could be more. Just you can test out your message and see what happens. So the way to win in New Hampshire is good old shoe leather. You get a good pair of shoes and you go door knocking and introduce yourself to the voters. If they like you, then they're likely to come out and maybe vote for you. Um, so that that is a strategy as to how you win. Uh, as far as the rest of it and encountering the um, the established corruption that's here, the only way we win is uh, to be a stealth candidate in many ways that um, you're not going to get it through the mainstream media unless you can figure out how to get your name out into the WMURs and to uh, the union leaders and so forth by uh, writing um, op-eds that are stimulating uh, somehow. Um, but so my other strategy is to get on alternative media and that's where we come in online and podcasts like yours. Um, the, uh, gateway pundit is another one, you know, or Scott, uh, Scott McKay, some of these people that are running their online, uh, opposition to the, uh, television, et cetera. So, that's one way to, to do this. The other way is to, to raise the awareness 
of the need for people to to vote because right now there's a lot of people that say my vote's not going to count. Why do I even care? Uh, we have to do that as well. But we've also been working on the um, local elections, and that's what I love about your county by county because. Uh, well, my husband just got, we just got him elected as a school board member, which is going to be interesting. But we have the opportunity, and there are lots of people right now who are running for school board and, and for their selectmen and so forth, because they're realizing that unless they get it right at home, they can't get anything else further away uh, accomplished. Well, I agree. I, I guess, you know, I've been pretty vocal about the vote, as you know. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very supportive of local votes, mass, because it's the one area that we can actually have almost direct accountability. They haven't quite figured out how to rig that yet. The state issue gets a little more complicated, but I, I agree with what you're saying. And I, I think that the biggest issue in the, in the perspective of the state is awareness and making people, I mean, as a primary motive to get people awake. And I think with that brings change in itself. You might consider, and we can talk more about this as you go through your campaign, but if we can create, start creating independent citizens accountability forums where basically people can register, vote, and then register their vote in a private system anonymously, and however we do that, that might pose an, a great challenge to the state's rig system because we'd be able to see what the real tallies were. And that's something that we needs to be discussed, I think, in the coming months, because since they're running a private entity to manage the votes, there's no reason that people can't establish a private entity to verify the vote. So I think that's something to consider, especially in a state like New Hampshire, where your your voter public is very personally engaged and the state is sizably, is not so sizable, it'd be a behemoth to manage. Exactly. That's one of the reasons that, um, well, one of the reasons I wrote you is because we are small and we are independent and we are uh, very in tune to doing things independently. So uh, a little aside is that this year is the 250th anniversary of the Pine Tree Revolt, which no, very, very few people know about. I didn't know about it until a few years ago. So the, in 1772, the king uh, came, decided that he needed the masts uh, to be replaced on his boats. And of course, the, the towns of Goffstown and Ware in New Hampshire happened to have the best in the way of trees that were 12 inches or larger. So he had his people come over and mark them to be taken down. And the citizens said no. <laughs> and they had an absolute riot. They ran the sheriff out of town. And and um, I don't know that they tarred and feathered him, but I think they came close if they didn't. And that was supposedly an inspiration for the Boston Tea Party. So we are extremely independent and wanting to do things our own way. And so I think that is that spirit here is something that could, in fact, make a difference in uh, coming up with that parallel um, way of uh, voting. I would agree. I, I think, you know, you, your state's motto is live free or die, which is as blunt as it gets. I mean, it's, there's not a lot of margin 
on that motto, and I love it. So I, I guess let's dig into a little bit of substance on what you're what you're going to be looking at, what you see as as policy initiatives. I think I'd begin by saying that one of the big uh, news hypes right now, which as you know, I'm been tearing apart because it's pretty much all fallacious are these executive orders put in by the new governor of Virginia, which everybody is calling a red wave win, which I'm saying is not, it's just not, it's at best a pink wave and probably more just, and it's just another hand of the deep state changing the narrative. Let's talk about that a little bit in substance of what that governor has said, things like he's going to remove the mandates. He's going to reform the, uh, the driver's license transportation group or something or other, uh, the, yeah, the state driver's license group, they're going to remove mask mandates, take out CRT in schools. These are really good hot buttons with conservatives, but I don't see a lot of meat behind much of what he's doing other than some of the easier things like taking out CRT, but are we getting rid of Common Core is one of the big questions. What are your thoughts there as we kind of set down the groundwork to talk about what your policies and directions are going to be? So, Scott, I had to laugh when I heard his uh, executive orders, first of all, because it appeared to me he's not doing anything different than anybody else uh, who is wielding this tyrannical, I am in charge, I'm going to do this, I'm taking credit, you know, I I built this, I, you know, it's, it's, it made me laugh because, quite honestly, the only thing that the governor can do, at least in the state of New Hampshire, is to validate that, yes, you agree with the legislation that's been put on your desk or you don't agree with it. And executive orders are really uh, only apply to those people who are working in the state government. So it... it, it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And by the way, as I, I left out the fact that I was an educator, uh, first as a parent, because I want parents to know also that they were the first teachers and that they shouldn't shy away from home education because they are capable of teaching their children. They taught them how to eat and how to get dressed and how to talk. And they ta- ta- taught them their home mother language. So um, they are the first teachers. So, but I mentioned that as a certified teacher is that CRT is already embedded in our schools, well embedded in our schools, has been for quite some time. And, um, you know, it, it's even if you uh, go to the enemies within the church, it's even in our churches. And so saying that critic, we're going to get, you're going to wave a magic wand and get rid of CRT is not going to happen. And so I think that um, it sounds to me like he's just touching on hot buttons, but not doing what a a governor really can do. And a a governor can use his bully pulpit. Yes, I can point out to what's going on. Uh, In fact, one of the things that I would be running on is the fact that I trust the people to make their own decisions. It's not up to me to turn around and pick winners and losers or to tell some business that they're essential or another business that they're not. Um, 
the the important thing or that they are the important thing too is to to realize that not one solution fits everything so you have to allow the people to make that decision on whether this uh, in this particular case i need to do uh, take a certain action or not i think that's a huge statement i do agree with you that and even to another degree another level that a lot of what people are being conditioned for right now is the acceptance that local kings and local tyrants is the only way to solve this problem. And that comes a lot from people's frustration and desire to see a quick fix. But it's a very dangerous slippery slope. Because once we get accustomed to the executive order as a function of power and utility for change, we're now at a point of advocating all of the rights of the people to one man with a, with a gavel, so to speak, and that becomes judge and jury in one office, which is an extremely dangerous path down and ex- pretty much everything our founding fathers warned us about. Well, you know, so in this process, go ahead, please. I was going to say, you know, Scott, in, in um, the reality is, is that what we're really fighting for in um, the bottom line is our liberties and liberties are freedoms with responsibilities. And when what we have been conditioned to do over the past centuries, I would say, is to let someone else be the one that we're trusting to make the responsible decision, and we're abdicating our own involvement in it. So let's talk a little bit about your direction and what you want to see and what's realistic within the powers and scope of the governor's office. So what I'd like to see is, uh, first of all, establish letting the people know that they're the ones that are supposed to exercise their own liberties and and uh, make their own decisions that they're responsible and whether they um, succeed or fail they're going to learn something from it and and I think we need to return the good old resilience of uh, it's okay to fail it's okay to learn um, and you can pick up your bootstraps and start over again and the other thing that I think it's important to do is to look at our founding documents and what was it that the Constitution was supposed to do in the first place? Well, it's supposed to limit what it is that this governing body was supposed to do. This this government that we keep referring to is something, nothing more than to run the store. And they are supposed to be the ones who make sure that we have trade opportunities, make sure that we have the infrastructure that's necessary and um, to defend our our um, our state, our borders and to establish state sovereignty once again, where we stand up to the federal government who comes down with these things and says, oh, by the way, you need to do this. No, we don't. We're a sovereign state and we don't need you. But what has happened over the years, and this is why it's going to take Uh, a while for us to go back. We've been on this road for, oh, since 1634 and they established the Boston Latin schools. Um, We've been on this track where money is coming from the federal government into our states and they're running our states as a result because he who pays the piper calls the tune. And uh, even Meldon Thompson, who was our um, 
governor back in 1973, I believe it was, said that uh, made the statement to the legislature that there's a bunch of money out here that you have no control over. And uh, when we sign these um, uh, contracts with the federal government, whether it comes in the form of a grant or whether it's a handout for a COVID money to the schools or whatever, they're still the ones that are going to tell you what you can do with that money and how you need to comply. And I think that this is, uh, it all boils down to the fact that we're willing to let somebody else make that decision or hope that somebody else will make that decision and we won't have to get involved. So let's kind of go through the county by county pillars, but let's put them in terms of where you see yourself in governorship. Yeah. So I'm going to start with my position is that we need to reestablish the power of home churches more in the tradition of Paul and start really getting the teaching of, of God back in our homes and back in our local communities. How do you feel about that? I agree. <laughs> I agree a hundred percent because the family is the foundational unit. And if you even go into the Jewish way of, dream, of, of raising their children, mom and dad taught their children how to read the Torah. And uh, that was their responsibility. And if you don't, my dad used to say, if you don't have it right at home, you can't go out and and make any difference anyplace else. And so I do think that that is someplace that we have to to re-encourage the the standard of that um, family with a mother and a father, their biological children, and they're committed for life and they're going to go forward. And, you know, I even love to see when there are generational homes where you have mom and dad and grandparents as well as the children. And maybe, um, you know, it might be one or two uh, uh, further generations, but that's the basic. And I am um, 100% behind your uh, attitude that we should not be putting our seniors in uh, condominiums or um nursing homes or anything else that's been going on for far too long. And it's, it's a, it's a crime because we're not taking advantage of the knowledge and the impact that someone else uh, who is older says to a little kid, uh, you shouldn't be doing this, or you should be doing this. Uh, It's, it's amazing that they had that impact and mom and dad and maybe saying the same doggone thing. But it, when grandma says it or aunt or uncle says it, it has all the different, a totally different um, concept to that child. And you need that. And so I think that we need to have churches do the same thing. You know, we need to be um, memorizing and talking uh, scripture and um, uh, values at home before we ever go out into the community to do anything else. So then we have second pillar, homeschooling. I have experience with it. I believe it. And I think that it's one of these things that I'm, I'm very anti-public school, especially where it is today, because they've become little more than communist indoctrination camps. What's your position on that within New Hampshire? I don't know what your rules are for homeschooling, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, homeschooling is very popular here in New Hampshire. There's a a large uh, number of families who do, 
And it's been growing since the lockdown situations that we've had in the past. I, I think that we definitely need to get rid of, and um, somebody's going to get me in trouble over this one, but government-funded schools are have become nothing more than building uh, maintenance and uh, employment agencies because the teachers that don't want to come to school because of, of uh, masks or whatever happens to be their excuse or the, um, the constant building of schools and, and making sure that they have uh, the, the nicest uh, air conditioning or the nicest carpet or uh, the other thing is that every child has to have a computer. Uh, no, they don't. And I, I'm, I'm really not happy about the Chromebooks and all of this, uh, because to me, it is just another way to collect information on your uh, children and on your family. And this has been going on for a long, long time, where uh, if you are not in lockstep with what the government schools want to do, then they take it out on your kids. They take it out on you, on you if they can vilify you and get you... Um, fired from your job or whatever, ruin your reputation in some way. They're not beyond doing that. And I think it's time that, you know, I, I, I'm a product of the public education, but uh, I also uh, have taught my children and they've gone to private schools. They've gone to Christian schools. They've gone to, we've even homeschooled. So uh, I'm I'm very much in favor of the home is the initial building block of the society. That's what built the whole country that we have today. On that topic, to get a little deeper into schools, policy-wise, you know, obviously you face a pretty well-organized union structure, which I, that's just part of the fight. What is your thoughts on on something like this? This has been discussed around where the taxes that you pay to schools are only paid if your child attends. Otherwise, you can use that money for homeschooling. It's very much like the voucher program that was introduced originally under Reagan. Yeah, well, so New Hampshire has a, they just passed a, um, a law that would allow for people of a certain economic uh, standard to apply to uh, for extra funds to send their children to any school they want to send them to. And there have been, uh, in fact, they, they were astounded at how many people applied, but then there's also the other uh, question is, so why are you putting a, a, an economic level on it? Why isn't there, a, why isn't it open to everybody? Because the first, um, uh, first, article in the New Hampshire Constitution says that all men are uh, created equal. So if, if that's the case, then money shouldn't have anything to do with it. Anybody should be able to apply for the funds. Um, my question is, at some point, is where in the Constitution does it say that we're supposed to have schools uh, but and fund them? But the other part of that is, is I do agree that only those people who have children that are 
going to these government-run schools should be paying for it because, quite honestly, that's their responsibility. But second of all, why does a senior citizen who's been paying for things for so long, why are they being taxed to send uh, for the schools? They don't have children in the school, and they've been probably paying since they started. I mean, if you're a, a... someone who was born in, in the community, you've been paying for this. And, and the sad part about it is, and this is something I would love to figure out if there's a way to do, we exist on property taxes. So if you own your house, you've been living in this community for 80 years and you don't pay your taxes for three years, guess what? You don't own your house. And that's criminal. Yeah, that's that's why <laughs> taxation is a huge one here. We'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, what is your thought then on this? I'm a, obviously a huge proponent of distributing the food production as wide and as wide as possible through the concept of Patriot Gardens, which is a revival, uh, somewhat of the Victory Garden model, yeah. but more emphasis on community education in that sense of making sure people know how to save seeds, which is going to become increasingly more important and having space for them to be able to actually have a garden. If you're in a, say a planned community, or if you're in an HOA that restricts that, or if you're in a uh, apartment complex where you don't have access to the garden. So what's your thought on that whole concept of community gardens or uh, Patriot gardens? Well, it's it's nice to have them. In fact, there's one that's just been started down by our trestle bridge in the center of town where um, some people got together and actually started a garden and said it was a community garden uh, that people could come to. I, uh, my, um, uh, I'm a, a big proponent of allowing people in the community to have chickens if they've got property that's large enough. Um, I, I, I'm... Um, been looking around for my own source for uh, pork and uh, beef as well. And in New Hampshire, we are fortunate to have local um, sources for a lot of these things. And I, and I, I encourage it. And we have been getting together and starting to talk about how do we use our resources to, um, and identify our own resources. What is it that you do well? Are you a seamstress? Are you a baker? Are you a carpenter? Uh, where's our medical? Uh, we're talking now about doing um, a parallel medical uh, situation because of the number of, um, well, a lot of our hospitals are going belly up because they don't have the workers. I mean, these mandates for uh, shots and um, and uh, you know the the facial coverings and so forth like that are are driving it home that the the nurses and the doctors are protesting and uh, as a result the this uh, wings of the hospitals are having to close and so you know there there's uh, a lot that's going on and I think that the more it goes on the more it's going to be we have to be reliant at the local level. We have to make sure that uh, we're taking care of our neighbors, that we're we, we're preparing, as I've been preparing for quite some time. But 
making sure that there's enough resources in, in your house to help out somebody else if necessary, but to make sure that you, you've got um, food, ammunition, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I've got tons of books I've been going through and saying, I need to get rid of these books because I have too many things in my house and I, I, I need to simplify so that other people can benefit from what I, my excesses. But uh, I'm, I'm rethinking that now because I think that we need to have that library that is um, available so we can do more things. Uh, and and check out the resources because I'm a I'm a been raising the flags for the last five or six years about electricity. What happens if we don't have electricity? We cannot exist as a community or as the, even as a country because we are so dependent upon it. And all we hear is, well, we got to build that electric car and we've got to build this and we're going to have. Well, guess what? When it's minus five degrees out here, your electric car isn't going to go anywhere. And then you're not going to get it recharged very quickly either. No, you're not. So let's talk a little bit about right work, which is a big one for me, which is getting people off the dependency of the corporate beast. That includes a couple mm -hmm. of things now, because obviously corporations, the mega corporations are the ones that have really gained out of this COVID environment. There's been a lot of crushing of small business. So when I, we start looking at initiatives it seems the couple of things that need to happen, in my opinion, and get your opinion on this and where you sit, is we need to obviously get rid of the state Nazi organizations that are threatening small business with, let's say, mask mandates or vax issues. We need to return that power back to the counties. We need to make it clear that from a, I think, from a state level that we're done with this and this is, and we need to clarify this pandemic issue very clearly that it was pretty much a ruse, but we need to stimulate, they encourage people to get into small business and to get them to take the, get people to take the initiative, which is a difficult one because people are needing to get to that startup point. So there's even possibility of using, as we reduce some programs, even talking about potentially using seed capital that is just more like a grant format to get people the initial capital they need just to start something. So anyway, just some thoughts out there. What do you, where are your position on, on getting small businesses going? The small businesses are the backbone of New Hampshire. And um, when our tyrant governor decided that we were going to make sure that um, we followed the lockdowns and he kept things open like the state liquor stores and the big box stores and the um, uh, churches weren't allowed to be open. That was a big um, red flag to me anyway. Um, but the reality is, is that by restricting all of, uh, putting all of these restrictions on the people, we lost, we lost a number of small businesses because the big thing that they, the big stick that they hold over everybody's head is, well, we're either going to fine you or we're going to take away your license. So my husband and I attended a um, lumber event uh, where they were uh, doing their awards, their annual, it was their annual dinner. One of the things that they did was they noticed that things weren't 
quite up to standard in some situations. So they themselves, as a lumber industry, started to have their own schools, uh, their own training mechanisms, their own life. Uh, you know, once you got through the training, then you got an award or you got a certificate that said you were capable. That then made you more uh, attractive to the consumer because you had these different standards. And so this was one of those things that we, um, I think, needs to be encouraged so that it's the industry itself that is setting the standards and policing their own people and then making that public out to the to the rest. As far as small businesses, we need to encourage them and they don't need to be told that they can do certain things or that there's restrictions on what they can do because it's that innovation that is, uh, that, you know, that's basically how we all started. And one of the things that we we want to be able to be creative and when we're creative and, then, um, and it sells, if it's going to be there, it's going to, um, it's going to grow. My big thing is I hate these subsidies because if a product is going to uh, get legs and start going, the public will buy it. If they're not interested in it, then it'll fail. And why are you going to coerce the public into paying for those things? Uh, that it's just wrong. And I think that uh, any way that we can help our small businesses, New Hampshire does a pretty good job of it, uh, except for the big sh uh, closing of everything and restricting and telling, making, choosing winners and losers is basically what happened during the uh, 2020, starting in March of 2020. I think that one of the kind of the big topics this year, probably three of them, right off the top, we've talked about two, which is going to be the position of faith and how that relates to you know, communities getting God back in the home, homeschooling, which I think is going to be huge in our discussions this year. Mm -hmm. But I also, the center point to all of that is health and wellness. And that's the fifth pillar. And this has been what we have learned this last 18 months after the two weeks to flatten the curve garbage is that we literally have a tyrannical medical state and it is a, it is using the medical institutions to promote fear, to give uh, pharmaceutical based drug solutions. And that's tying in with this whole revamping that's been quietly going on behind the scenes as people have been running around trying to figure out what to do about masks and who to blame for the pandemic and so forth as they've been retooling to ensure that all their drugs going forward are going to include some form of mRNA and nanotech and probably this DARPA-based hydrogel in all of what they're doing. So we're seeing a shift in the position of medicine to be taking over the whole immune systems of the body. Where's your position on dealing with that? Because that's, in my opinion, going to be one of your biggest challenges going in as governor because you're dealing with big pharma you're dealing with biomedical. These are the new opportunity horizons that people are going to be running towards to make big money and big income when, in fact, it's going to be destroying us at the same time. So I'm a big proponent of the fact that we are responsible for our own decisions, right? So 
if we are, uh, and, and the other thing that I've been saying for a number of years is that we have gotten to the point where we think that just because somebody has certain letters behind their name that they know everything. So we, we and I, I've done it in the past myself. Uh, I trusted because somebody went to school and um, they, the school said that they were gonna learn about medicine. I assumed that they were gonna learn about medicine. And one of the things that I assumed too was that they would be looking at the whole body and saying, uh, how does it all work together? And let's figure out where is the root cause? But that's not, in fact, what has happened. And even uh, many, many years ago, when I was first getting introduced even into vitamins and different um, exercise programs and so forth, I, I was aware that the uh, big companies couldn't make money off of your natural substances, your uh, your essential oils, your uh, herbs and spices, that since they couldn't make money off of it, they were coming up with something else to put into your system. And my mom used to always say, anytime you introduce a foreign substance into your body, your body has to figure out how to deal with it. So why do you want to overtax it by putting uh, other things in. And then you you look at the people who are who have a chronic disease of some sort, and you go and look at their medicine cabinet. They have not only the uh, first drug that addressed one symptom, then they have another drug that addresses the symptoms that came because the first drug created another symptom. And it just becomes this, um, you know, this cascade of symptoms that we're treating and more and more money is going to the pharmaceuticals. So I think we need to start looking at the more natural approaches and also recognizing that how we take care of our bodies is um, fundamental to how our bodies are going to react. I've also got a degree in microbiology and, and um, so when the first thing came out about COVID and, and I, I didn't buy into it. I, I, it, did, it just did not make any sense to me because we live in this ocean of microbes of all sorts. And some of them are good for us and some of them are not. And we, our body needs some of them. So what we need to do is start looking at what is the root cause? Well, if, if we don't, um, here again, it's going to be part of the education process. And I think one of the biggest problems for us right now is cost of medicine. Well, the cost of, of health right now is really driven by your insurance companies and your uh, pharmaceutical companies. And quite honestly, our hospitals are supposed to be nonprofits, but they sure are building a whole lot with that nonprofit money. So it, it's turning, the, turning that um, big ship estate in the right direction is not an easy solution. It's going to be a time-consuming solution. It's going to take time to, to make it happen, but it's not going to happen in two years. It's not going to happen in four years. It's probably going to be a lot longer, 
but we can at least start talking about and educating people on the direction that they need to go in order to build up this creation that we have we are making that operate at its optimum and doing everything we can to resist any of the other things that are going. Now, one of the big things that is going to be a result of all of this um, bioweaponry that we've been encountering lately is that we're going to have the fallout from it. We're going to have the autoimmune diseases. We're going to have the polio-like symptoms. Uh, uh, it may be po polio in another form. It, we're going to have those situations that we're going to have to deal with, but I'm going to hope that we've got the um, uh, philanthropic spirit amongst the people to try to address that. I think that's a, a solid because we do have a, an, an, a coming uh, event of people getting sick that's going to be pretty disastrous. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, and the consequences of taking this injection, which are not avoidable. So that leads us to informed action, which is the sixth pillar of county by county. And that's really, to me, one of the another one of those very important issues in this day because of keeping people engaged, informed, not just in politics, but that's important. And but also understanding the mechanisms behind the power in the offices um, and understanding the sort of things they need to keep abreast of for their own knowledge and awareness as society is being pushed down these rabbit holes or these uh, herded spaces like of transhumanism and fourth generation warfare. This to me from a governor's pulpit seems to be an extremely powerful place, not necessarily popular, definitely not popular to the lobbyists, but in exposing not just the elected officials, but the invisible hands of those appointed jobs, for example, that are making big influences and decisions, those lobbyists that are trying to force a policy change or a direction that we need to go in to drive us towards, say, the fourth industrial revolution or the transhumanism, to bring those topics to the forefront for discussion. Where's your position on that as a potential governor? So it's, it's funny because, um, that is one of the reasons that I started the Family Policy Council is that I wanted people to have the, the, the guy on the street, the mom in the house. I wanted them to have the uh, well-researched information as well as the policymakers to be able to make their own decisions based on that. So uh the governor has, as you say, the bully pulpit. They have the ability to uh, uh, inform and um, uh, also to encourage people to do their own research. And so it, lobby, it frustrates me to no end. And one of the things that we've been doing, um, it's kind of funny in some of our um, Republican committees, the leadership has changed. And there are uh, chairmen who will stand up and tell you, do not, whatever you do, do not give to the party. If you find a candidate that you like, that you think has potential, that has um, uh, the ideas that you support, then you make a direct donation to that person and not 
don't give it to the party because the party's never going to give it to them. The other thing is too, is when you're, you're looking at your uh, organizations, your unions and so forth, why do you have to put your money in to be coerced to uh, vote or to support candidates that don't hold your own values. I mean, this is another thing that that happens frequently is you find out that you're making it, you're in in fact, even when you're going to the grocery store to the to the coffee shop, right? Go to, to some of the coffee places and you find out that they uh, use their money to support uh, causes that you don't necessarily agree with, then don't go. I mean, there's that that uh, group called Second Vote that analyzes a lot of the different um, um, how financial uh, dealings that, that different companies do and different organizations do, and then they rate them according to what issues uh, you're interested in. Well, so we have to do exactly what we you've been doing with Mike Lindell. You know, we we take our money and we put it behind those people that we know to do so. So as a governor, I would be encouraging people to look at, look at what somebody's doing. If you don't like it, uh, then don't donate to it. And one of the other things too, is I will be pushing really, really hard on. We have taxpayer money, whether it's coming from the corporate taxes in, in our state or whether it's coming from the property taxes, that go to nonprofit organizations. That's not our money to spend. It is up to the individual taxpayer to make the decision what charity they want to give to. And uh, to coerce that money and make it go to uh, Planned Parenthood or to the uh, opposite of that, which would be a, uh, a um, crisis pregnancy center, is not the role of the government. And I'm going to be looking at how do we get that attitude out of our governments, whether it's at the local level or whether it's at the state level. The other thing too is the, to look at the federal funds that are coming into this state and see how do we divorce, how do we break those uh, strings? Is it something that we can say no to today uh, or is it something that it's in a grant and we have to uh, let the time period go, you know, but somehow we have to be um, cutting those strings that are telling us how we have to live our lives and not allowing the individual to make those uh, and be responsible for the choices that they make. So last pillar then is uh, stewardship and conservation, which I'm, big on because we have to not only manage better what we do and stop getting away from being a disposable culture, but at a state level that gets into utilizing resources to reestablish sovereignty. It's going to get into areas even like whether we're going to accept a forced integration into a digital currency. JP Morgan is now launching its own central bank backed digital currency. What's your thought on that level of sovereignty? Because economics is a big issue. This goes right back to 1776, quite frankly. Economics is a huge issue, and state resources are a big issue. The federal government's ability to take control of state resources is huge, not allowing the citizens to make the choice or responsibly manage. Your thoughts? So individually, 
as citizens, we should now, if you're not doing it, you ought to be really thinking about it, is that we ought to be looking at alternative, uh, a parallel type um, financial system. Can we come up with a way to um, barter with our neighbors? Uh, can we figure out somehow to, how do we make payments and so forth? And by the way, we if you can get out of, out of debt, uh, uh, out of your mortgage or whatever it is, you ought to be doing it as, and becoming as independent as you possibly can. I'm a big fan of, of um, Dave Ramsey's uh, programs to uh, become totally independent and not owe any man anything. Because if you can get to that stage, then you've got a whole lot of power behind your own dollars or behind your own uh, financial system. So we have to do that. The other thing is, is that we need to be returning back to letting the local community. I mean, when you when you're close to the situation, you come up with better solutions than if you're trying to always do it from somebody else is going to do it, some organization's going to do it, somebody else is um, has the funds. We really need to be doing it from as close to the situation as possible. So, yeah, it's a it's a big it's a big uh, uh, order, but it is something that we can accomplish. But it's going to take everybody working together, or you know, people waking up, and maybe just th the three percent, but people waking up and realizing that they have something to do and finding out what it is. What we, you know, quite honestly, Scott, we need to go back to the old fashioned uh, thing that we used to do many, many years ago. What is our purpose here? Why were we created and how did we fulfill it? I think that's well said. And I think that's a question I think everybody has to face and really get to the core of. Well, this has been a really good interview. I, I, I'm excited about your candidacy and, and, of course, want to help as much as we can as you move forward. Any last thoughts before we close with the prayer? Oh, sure. Uh, we, people can go to karentesterman.com. It's uh, T as in Tom, E-S-T-E-R-M-A-N, uh, karentesterman.com. And you can find out uh, not only my issues or communicate with me in that way, but you can also make a donation because donations do help, even if you're doing a grassroots kind of thing like I am. Uh, and the other thing is, is that uh, one of the things I did, and especially for any listeners that might be in New Hampshire, is I put together a, a pocket-sized book called I Choose to Live Free, which includes the constitutions of New Hampshire and um, the U.S., so I think people need to know what their constitution says, because if you don't know what, you, what your rights are there, then you can't fight for them. And we have uh, the whole first half of the New Hampshire constitution is um, our bill of rights. That's a really great statement at the end that we spend a lot of time focusing on the national constitution, which itself has a lot of, there's a lot of issues uh, I, as you know, I go back to the Declaration of Independence as our founding document. Yeah. I think that when we look at the Declaration of Independence, we should all be looking very closely, not only at our state constitutions, but our county charters. Yeah. 
Yes. I think those are really powerful documents to understand what your rights are, what's expected of you as a, as a citizen, and and really get involved under those bases. Well, we always close with a prayer, and if it's okay with you, I'll do a prayer. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this very blessed meeting and asking for your guidance and continued discernment and and encouragement of Karen as she steps into this place of running for governor to give people truly a voice and a hope and a love through you, Father. Lord, in this time when we have so much weighing against us as an institution that has been rigged and influenced people to really not see the truth, we just are so blessed for the voices that are standing up. We ask for their strength, and we know, Father, with you anything is possible. Corruption can be destroyed. Machines can actually tell the truth. Uh, So we just pray, Lord, that in this time, whatever the mission is you have for Karen to please just give her that, all that she needs, all the resources she needs, all the, the encouragement she needs, all the strength she needs to bring a message of truth and disrupt, most importantly, the control of evil that has seen once again taken control of government and and misguiding the people. Let us raise your children up, Father, as we stand with you and we stand in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Scott. This has been fun. It's been a great, great time. So I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thank you for reaching out and we'll continue to track. I want to continue to track your campaign and uh, keep me posted on how things are going. Will do. Thank you so much. Have a very blessed day. God bless you. God bless you. Well, Patriots, that was Karen Testerman. As you know, the new candidate for governor in New Hampshire, and she's a B-dad and part of Bard's Nation. I think that rocks, to be blunt. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I want to put a lot of focus this year, and I've been working on getting some things lined up, but I want a lot of focus on B-dads that are making changes. So first of all, if you're running for office and you're part of Bard's Nation, we want to hear from you, bottom line. And if you know people that are running for office that are following Bard's Nation and you like them, then send me an email, scott at bardsfm.com. I want to use this platform for what it can do. We have 20 million downloads, a a regular listenership that exceeds right now over 750,000 to a million people. That means we're up there now with the influence of CNN. So, and and I hate CNN. (laughs) That's when I flush the toilet, I go, oh, I just said goodbye to CNN again. So my point of this is we have the platform. And when we have that, we have to use it for change. I have been, I have convinced that, and I've said this, is that Bard's Nation has the potential of being the greatest force of change in the nation. Not because we're extra special, but because we're all focused on applied change, whether that's changing in our county-by-county model, not just politics, and that's what I'm getting at. So we need to elevate up Bard's Nation voice. So if you post stuff on the chat or, or to who we should contact, we'll do our best, but you need to send, need to have people email me direct, scott at bardsfm, and we'll go from there, okay? Scott at bardsfm.com. But this is a good step. I'm really impressed with Karen Testerman. She's going to be a great candidate. We want to make sure and continue to follow her and support her in any way we can. And I'm sure she needs cookies. 
I just know she needs cookies. All Bard's people, all Bard's candidate needs fresh baked cookies. But other than that, we need to really keep it going. So let's keep our focus on this year on affecting local change and state change and using the talents and gifts that we have amongst us. And we've, we have, I, I can tell you right now, while I'm talking, uh, Duncan reached out to me and said that he's, he'll support Karen with, with video promotion stuff. See, we have the talents within our ranks. We don't have a problem with that. We just now need to apply them. So let's rally the troops, so to speak, right? This is time. And we need to elevate the voice of what we've been talking about for almost two or three years now. And we need to bring it forward and hit it hard because we can make the change, especially local. You know, I believe in local. Federal, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to write Jesus in for president, but when it comes to state and it comes to local, I do believe we can make that change. And I, and I think it's so significant that when we do, we're going to force federal back in the box and to gut it the way it needs to be. All right, Patriots. So have a very blessed evening. I'll be back in a little bit for fishers of men. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. This is an amazing time right now a time that we have ability before us to affect change and to make big change through our gifts and talents that God gave us. So keep your prayers up for clarity and where God wants you to be. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. We just have to trust deeply in him and listen to him above all. And that's why we are here, learning to listen once again to Father. So see you in a bit for fishers of men until then or until the next time. God bless, and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable. And we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, 
and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push, we climb, we never give in, we become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray, we stand, we live by the words, in God we trust, we fear nothing, we are the light it can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 